0: Computer Center. This is Inside Politics with Radio NL News Director Shane Woodford.
1: Good morning. Thank you for tuning in. We've got an exciting show for you. Lots to talk about today. Uh, on the back end of the show, we'll have Camo South MLA Todd Stone in studio to talk highway politics. Uh, but first up, uh, real pleasure this morning to welcome Global BC's Keith Baldry and BC Today's Shannon Waters to the program. Good morning, guys. Good morning, Shane. Hi, Shane. All right. How's everybody doing? Everyone well?
2: Beautiful here in the
1: capital. Excellent. Uh, Why don't we uh, start off on the gas front. Uh, This has been an issue that's been boiling away as gas prices have risen. Uh, We all know that uh, the Premier just keeps facing a barrage of questions. He cannot go to an event now without having somebody ask him about gas prices. Uh, A little bit of that is his fault. He did float the idea there of possible relief that we've not yet seen or what form that might take. But, uh, Keith, he's also dropped the, the refinery word more than once again yesterday saying hey listen I've tasked my deputy minister to find some solutions uh, short term and on the long term maybe adding refining capacity now the premier knows a thing or two about the energy industry and the complexities around refinery so uh, first what Keith what do you think about the idea and and why would why would the premier throw that on the table
2: well I, I detect uh, a bit of exasperation on John Horgan's part if not outright desperation because This issue is getting away from him. He he mistakenly provided the sense that he was going to do something a few weeks ago. As you mentioned, he just keeps getting asked about it all the time, uh, without, um, and he knows this file. I don't really understand why he's promising stuff that he knows he can't deliver. And I think he wants it both ways, to give the impression he's actually doing something to help the consumer, and at the same time, uh, there's not much he can actually do about this uh, in any real impactful way. So I think, uh, again, I think he's. has this this issue is troubling him. It's getting away from him. The fact that he's talking about another refinery is ludicrous. There is not going to be another refinery. It takes years to build. They are wildly expensive. The number of refineries are declining in Canada and have been since the 1970s for good reason. And it's also contradictory, Shane, his whole notion of cutting the price of gas to uh, to help motorists and at the same time building another refinery to increase the amount of oil being sent very places is totally contradictory to his climate action plan. You would yeah. think that uh, you'd, you'd want gas prices to go up to curb uh, consumption of fossil fuels. So, again, this is, none of this makes a lot of sense, and it's not anything he can do about it, and it's getting away from him, but it's becoming a real issue for him. And the B.C. liberals, uh, as an opposition party is want to, do, are hammering away at him, and they don't have any solutions either, but this is the perfect issue for the opposition to pick up on.
1: Yeah, and there's a lot of complexities here, Shannon. I mean, there's the carbon tax as Keith mentioned, uh, a degree of that is to drive up prices to encourage people to change their behavior. There's the fact his government is opposing the Trans Mountain Pipeline. A refinery would need pipelines, I would think. And the other one is the legislation around zero uh, zero emission vehicles in 2040. uh, It's going to take, I mean, uh, even if we had something on the drawing board right now, which we don't, uh, it'd take a good decade to build a refinery at least, and then you'd have a minimal amount of time between 2040 arriving, and then all of a sudden, all of the stuff this thing is supplying would be illegal uh, to some degree anyway so what gives
3: yeah it seems like a really strange as Keith mentioned doesn't uh, the solution of building a refinery or supposed solution of building a refinery doesn't really make a lot of sense especially in the short term which is what people are looking for when it comes to relief from these very high gas prices and that is something that the premier said when he sort of floated the idea of relief he said you know we're gonna keep an eye on You know, gas prices tend to spike in the summer and if they go to a certain level or they stay very high and continue to rise, we'll look at providing some measure of relief. Well, you're not going to build a refinery this summer and have it supplying gasoline to motorists here in BC. And again, the carbon tax, while it's not the whole story when it comes to these gas prices, is supposed to sort of push people to modify their behavior, whether that's driving less or getting rid of a vehicle and going to transit options, which Horgan has kind of said, you know, the province is trying to improve those for people as well. Um, or it, or people decide, Hey, maybe it's time to invest in an electric vehicle, a zero emission vehicle, which is also something that the province wants. So yeah, it's, it's kind of baffling that, that Horgan has sort of said or floated the idea of the solution and says that he has tasked, um, Deputy Minister to look into it when it runs counter to this very ambitious provincial strategy that was just launched a few months ago.
2: Yeah, and it'll, it'll be interesting, Shane. Yeah. Uh, whether his deputy, Don Wright, comes back with one of the options, and it has to be, I mean, if it, it does not include this option, it means that they he hasn't looked at the whole picture. The quickest way to increase supply of gasoline in Metro Vancouver, and it's going to take some time, as Shannon says, nothing's going to happen this summer in terms of building something, yeah. um, but it's gasoline currently arrives in Metro Vancouver via the Trans Mountain Pipeline. About 70% of all the refined gasoline comes through that pipeline. The problem is that pipeline also, 20% of the time, carries heavy crude bitumen. Uh, To get that bitumen out of the pipe and increase uh, capacity for refined fuel would require another pipeline, i.e. the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion project. That's what has a direct tie here to the price of gasoline in Metro Vancouver. If you get that heavy crude out of the pipe, that currently brings everything into the terminus in Burnaby, it leaves more room for gasoline to come into the market. If there is more gasoline, if the supply increases, prices go down. That is the quickest fix that's possible, I think, out there. Uh, Short of uh, getting rid of, you know, cutting taxes, but the counter-argument there is that uh, there's no guarantee that gas companies and gas stations simply fill uh, the gap provided by a tax cut with just a higher price. So the quickest relief is a is more capacity through that pipeline, through an extra pipeline uh, coming from Transmount and we'll see if Don Wright puts that on the table.
1: So if there's going to be, I mean the pipeline issue is very much up in the air. Refinery capacity increase would take years if ever Uh, but Don Wright has been tasked with finding options, some kind of options. So uh, ruling out a pipeline and a refinery over the long term um, gas tax relief seems to be dodgy at best. Outside of that um, Shannon, is there anything, any kind of muscle the province has here? I mean what's Gonna, what's Don Wright going to come back with to help right now?
3: Well, one of the questions that the Premier was asked earlier this week was about taking a regulatory approach um, to gas prices, something that the Maritimes have looked into um, in terms of sort of setting, I believe, and this is not something that I'm super familiar with, so I apologize if I get it wrong, setting sort of a maximum price for gasoline, putting some, some price controls essentially on it. And yeah. so but Horgan sort of rejected that question out of hand. He said he'd looked at that approach before when he was in opposition um, and found that it is not a particularly effective solution. And he said that you know for the Maritimes, it hasn't been a, a particularly effective solution in bringing down gasoline prices. Now, I do just want to point out because I was looking at some of the gas buddy data, Um, and the postings of gas prices around the province. And one of the things that you notice when you look at those gas prices is Metro Vancouver is, is significantly out of step with the price of gas in a lot of other places in the province. And there are reasons for that. They have additional taxes that are, are placed on, um, on gas in the region. But if you look at other areas of the province, yes, gas prices are high, but no, they're not approaching like $2 a liter at this point in time. So while a lot of people in the lower mainland obviously are concerned about gas taxes as well as here on the island, the premier did get yelled at about the carbon tax while he was doing an event in his own riding this week. Um, It's not a uniform sort of situation all across the province, I guess is what I'm saying. So the solutions for Vancouver again, could be different than, than what is happening in the rest of the province.
2: Yeah, the, the single biggest tax in Metro Vancouver is the TransLink tax. Yep. It's $0.18 cents a liter. Uh, you don't pay that in Kamloops. Uh, you don't pay that. Uh, we pay a much smaller one here in where Shannon and I are. I think we pay $0.06 cents a liter of the capital transit tax. So, no, there's a unique tax that sits there. But if you get rid of that TransLink tax, suddenly the funding for TransLink pays for all the transit uh, goes out the window, too. So he's stuck on something like that. He cannot reduce the carbon tax. That, again, sends the wrong message about his climate action plan. You can't really start, you can't touch the TransLink tax, which is the other big one here. And you're left with, uh, you know, some minor tax levies that really aren't going to, even if he got rid of them, aren't going to really curb the price of gas for motors in Metro Vancouver. It's it's B- BC, and particularly Metro Vancouver, is a unique situation. Um, we are in the same boat as California in terms of being too far away from refineries. Uh, we're competing for the same gas uh, with California oftentimes when we get our gas from Washington State. So it's a, it's a tough, tough uh, riddle here, and there's no easy solution. And, and Horgan's not going to find one. And the fact that he put out the, the, the specter that he could find one, I think it's going to come back to bite him.
1: Yeah, possibly. By the way, the TransLink tax... Uh as Keith pointed out there, I remember covering a press conference a few years back where they said that tax is a declining source of revenue. No surprise, but people in Metro Vancouver either flee out to the Fraser Valley or they cross the border in droves to fill up, mm. and thus uh, the gas tax is seeing less and less revenue coming back in Metro Vancouver itself. What it raises, to back to Shannon's point, uh, maybe the solution here is is he cut some one-time rebate checks specifically to you know Southern Vancouver Island or Metro Vancouver to lift some of the weight. Is that a possibility, maybe, Shannon?
3: I don't see it, especially because I think that would upset. I mean, gas prices are still high in other in other areas of the province compared to um, other places in Canada, certainly. Um, so I don't. I mean, I guess it's an option. I don't see it as being one that sort of solves the frustration necessarily, and the and the anger that people have around the gas tax. And I have a lot of sympathy for that, especially in areas where you know, transit isn't as much of an option. We are talking about Metro Vancouver. I lived there for over a decade. I did not own a car during that time, nor did I really feel the, the need to because transit is, if you live within sort of the central part of Vancouver, transit is a very convenient and affordable option. But I've also lived in Prince George, and it was not possible for me to not have a car there and still be able to fulfill my employment obligations. Not to mention, you know, sometimes if you're trying to take the bus in Prince George in the middle of the winter, it's below like minus 25, and it's not a very pleasant experience. Um, so yeah, as Keith said, it's a complicated issue. It's not one that the province has a lot of wiggle room on. Maybe Horgan, particularly because his party ran on this platform of affordability of making the province more affordable. Um, they, they've also, you know, outlined priorities around reducing emissions and there's a clean BC plan and stuff like that, which falls very much in line with, increasing taxes on gasoline and seeing the price go up. But it's very difficult to square that with having said that you're going to make life more affordable for the people who live in this province.
1: Yeah. Uh, final word to you, Keith. Uh, well, I mean, there's a, there's the real world thing here. I mean, in my entire lifetime, in our entire lifetime, gas prices go up. They're just going to keep going up. They've always gone up. Um, the other thing that that really strikes me this while the premier's on the hot seat. We're not hearing much from Andrew Weaver and the Greens on this.
2: No, and it's, uh, first of all, prices going up. Yes, they're going to continue to go up, but but it is cyclical, but we are at the mercy of a market. It it is a classic marketplace. People say the gas companies are gouging us. I don't see any evidence of that. I see purely a market at play here. There's only so much gasoline. We're competing with it, uh, for it, with Washington State and and California, and uh, we don't have much of it in the marketplace at this time of year. So it's going to continue to go up unless supply increases, and that's only going to come with another pipeline. Andrew Weaver uh, is, and the Greens are going to be, they're silent on so many issues with the NDP. They should be calling out the New Democrats on sort of the contradictions that exist uh, of, between them bemoaning the price of gas and the fact that they're trying to get people out of their vehicles ostensibly through that climate action plan. And Andrew Weaver parks his electric car right below my window and, in the legislature and reminds me constantly that he pays nothing for <laughs> his electricity while we continue to pay more at the pumps. But the Greens, as is so many the case on so many issues, uh, are quite willing to give the NDP a free pass on a number of number of things, and this one is uh, is one of them.
1: All right, let's take a quick break here on Inside Politics. We'll continue our conversation with Shannon and Keith on the other side.
0: Local News Now, Radio NL, 610 AM and RadioNL.com. Accountable to you for Kamloops Computer Center. This is Inside Politics with Shane Woodford on Radio NL.
1: Good morning. Welcome back. We're talking to Keith Baldry and Shannon Waters. A fascinating story that that I just I'm a little bit obsessed with is the 420 protest down in Vancouver uh, for years carried on to kind of rail against the the uh, the the fact that weed was illegal, railing for legalization. We have since October uh, legalized marijuana and the protest, uh, maybe the largest ever, took place again uh, this past weekend uh, with Cypress Hill performing, uh, jamming the beaches down in Vancouver uh, and the two organizers, namely Jody Emery and Dana Larson, seem intent on just continuing this thing along uh, regardless and basically thumbing their nose at the city. The city, I don't think, really knows what to do. Uh, Shannon, what happens here? I mean, this is obviously a bit of a showdown. Uh, Does the city just say, okay, we give up. We're going to give these guys a pass. They kind of put their foot down. I mean, how does this thing play out?
3: It's gonna be interesting to see how how it how it does play out going forward. I don't really have a lot of sympathy for either sides of this argument. I think that um, not necessarily the city so much, but certainly the park board this time around took a stance on 420 that was maybe needlessly antagonistic. I, I do think they're completely within their rights to say, no, you can't have an event here. No, it is not a protest anymore. At the same time, 420 has been a big part of Vancouver. It's been a big event in Vancouver for a very long time. There's a lot of cannabis culture in the city. There's a lot of people who enjoy the event, so it seems to me that it would be in the city's interest to kind of come to an accommodation on that front. Um, And I do understand that a lot of people are frustrated with the way legalization has taken place. um, That You know, the way the government has gone about both the feds and the province have gone about legalization. I think there are some legitimate issues that are worth criticizing, worth pushing back against. At the same time, I'm not entirely sure what sort of cannabis advocates were expecting with legalization and, and why anybody would assume that an intoxicating substance would be treated any differently than this country treats any other intoxicating substance. Um, so from my perspective, it's been like a lot of bad behavior on both sides. And I kind of hope that next year there can be some more adult conversation around how to potentially have this event continue to happen, but in a different context and acknowledging the fact that, you know, things are different now because weed is,
1: legal. Yeah. Um, Keith, uh, to Shannon's point, and, and I think that it's one that keeps playing out. Everyone kind of says, oh, you know, it's time for some accommodation. It's time for adults in the room to get together. Uh, and you can make a fair point that the park board was needlessly antagonistic on this thing, but I think you can make an, also a fair point that both Jody Emery and Dana Larson can't be counted on at this point to be the adults in the room. Their social media behavior is atrocious. I mean, you try to have a dialogue with them, and you immediately get painted with these awful names, and they can't seem to have a coherent uh, conversation about this and they want to have the event their way at their price at their location I don't see any flex or compromise coming from those two
2: well those two two I think should be excluded from the debate I mean Dana Larson and Jody Emery I've had conversations with them on Twitter, they're completely unacceptable they're narcissistic personalities they see no compromise, Dana Larson actually compared himself to Martin Luther King Jr. to me um, in terms of fighting for rights and a number of people pointed out oh, really how many, how many booths sold product for profit at civil rights rallies under Martin Luther King this is, this is a commercial operation they make money at it but those two it would be wise for the cannabis community to get rid of those two in terms of being the spokespeople or leaders. Uh, they are completely out of step and out of touch. They're still behaving as if this was some sort of illegal product that they were fighting to, re- to bring to legalization. We're past that. Uh, But as Shannon says, uh, there should be, I think, leadership on both sides of this. The fact that 60,000 people come to an event uh, indicates there is real public interest in having that event. So you have to, I think, have an accommodation to to allow that event to occur, albeit in a different area that doesn't shut down a very popular uh, aquatic center uh... that doesn't sort of fumigate an entire neighborhood uh... you've got but you've got to find a final location that both sides can agree with and the organizers have to play by the rules in terms of of covering costs and permit fees just like the fireworks and fireworks festival and other big festivals uh, that are part of the vancouver culture but uh, this, this thing cannot be ignored but it, it has to be accommodated but along reasonable lines and as you say emory and larson are completely inappropriate people to deal with in terms of providing leadership uh, when it comes to compromise and living within uh, the accepted behavior uh, that everyone else agrees to live by.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. But the other big part of that is the city is going to have to find some way uh, to put their foot down. And so far, as of this year, yet anyway, they've they've uh, not done that. So it'll be interesting to well, see. A tough, like a like
2: tough letter from a lawyer, a legal letter, with, with a, a no-nonsense language from a lawyer, might get their attention in mm-hmm. a way that hasn't happened before.
1: Yeah, interesting point. Okay, guys, let's get caught up to the news at the bottom of the hour, and we'll continue on with Shannon and Keith right after this.
2: Radio NL. Radio
0: com, Local news now. For Kamloops Computer Center, this is Inside Politics. Once again, Radio NL News Director Shane Woodford.
1: Good morning, beautiful day here in Kamloops. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, We're talking to Keith Baldry and Shannon Waters. Guys, a fascinating conference call from this province's uh, uh, health officer, Dr. Bonnie Henry, calling for the decriminalization of people who possess small amounts of drugs for personal use. Uh, A 40-page report, Uh, she made a passionate appeal uh, that we need to do a serious change on this topic. Uh, That went to Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth, immediately reacted by saying, well, I think it's more of a federal government thing, uh, but we're struck me about the call Keith was was not only some of the blunt language from Bonnie Henry uh, but other talk in there from you know Dr. Keith Ahmad, who came on our station uh, later on that day uh, who seemed to dispense with some of the politically neutral tone that you would expect uh, uh, in the past from some of these and I don't know if it's the opioid overdose crisis the amount of deaths and, and damage being taken out there but there seemed to be a real sense from these people Bonnie Henry at all that uh, politicians need to step in and take account for this and do something thing because people are dying
2: yeah i know it was pretty strong language and also the victoria police chief was there as well uh, so we're increasingly seeing, something I, I noticed a few years ago started in the States where there's a real uh, growing sense among law enforcement agencies in the States that prohibition of drugs simply isn't working. There's, In fact, there's a, an organization south of the border called Law Enforcement Against uh, Prohibition LEAP, which is growing in number. These are all former police officers and current police officers saying the um, status quo doesn't work. And it's, I think it's now crossed over to Canada with the opioid crisis, particularly. In British Columbia, where the status quo, the measures that are currently taken just simply aren't working. People continue to die on a daily basis, and no matter what the efforts are, uh, it's just uh, it's not working. So something dramatically different has to happen. But this isn't the first time that that physicians and law enforcement get together and say this has to be done, and politicians run away screaming because yeah. it's, um, it's, a, it's it's a dangerous, not dangerous, but it's a politically charged. Uh, Issue for politicians to start legalizing drugs. That's why it took so long, I think, for cannabis to become legal, even though it was widespread use and consumed. It took a long time, and it still was not without controversy. Uh, and that's cannabis. And now you've got, you know, more dangerous drugs or more serious drugs being contemplated for decriminalization. So, I think uh, Bonnie Henry made a very good case for why this should happen. But uh, I don't think we're anywhere closer to it because, as she notes in her report, the federal government is. Dragging deals on this issue, and it's time for provinces to act, but provinces can hide behind the fact that it is fundamentally a federal issue, and, and I don't see Justin Trudeau's government taking any ch- any charge of this issue anytime soon because we have an election coming up in the fall.
1: Yeah, but there are ways around it, uh, Shannon. We both uh, know that Vancouver Police for years uh, have been sort of de facto decriminalizing small amounts of possession, uh, basically saying, listen, we're, gonna, we're not going to bother with this anymore. It's not worth our time. It's not worth the bureaucracy. This isn't a political thing but somehow in Vancouver they made it happen and managed to find a workaround does that tell us a little something
3: well I think that that goes to show that even the people who are charged with enforcing these laws enforcing you know the criminalization of drug use recognize that it's one, a futile exercise and two is wasteful. Like the, um, we were talking to the Victoria police chief as part of that news conference and he was saying, he said specifically, I dedicate zero resources to minor drug possession because there's no, there's no payoff for it. It doesn't, it doesn't change the situation. It doesn't fix anything. It doesn't stop the cycle. Um, and and Dr. Bonnie Henry, I mean, she's the provincial health officer, but she outlined sort of a regulatory approach that BC could take toward de facto decriminalization by the provincial police act, um, and and basically saying like, here, this is how you would do it if if BC as a province is serious about changing the way we think about drug use and addiction. Here is a way for for you to set that in motion, and then immediately. Um our public uh safety minister and solicitor general Mike Farnworth turns around and says, Well no, it's a federal issue and there is nothing that a single province can do to change this.
1: Yeah. Um, Keith, we've had uh, some, uh, of course, because the ledge is not in session, the government's running around willy-nilly making announcements because the numbers game doesn't allow them to do that anymore while the ledge sits. Uh, We've had a number of highway announcements, uh, at least one in your neck of the woods, another major one yesterday in Langley. Uh, I'm just kind of curious if you're reading anything into, especially the Langley one, considering where it's situated and how important some of those surrounding ridings were in the last election.
2: Well, you know, Langley's... Been pretty strong BC Liberal territory before that social creditory for some time. The NDP never come close to winning a seat there. Having said that, uh, the demographics of Langley and the outer, the bedroom suburbs of Metro Vancouver are changing as young families are pushed out of uh, further and further away from the center core. They're pushed into communities like Langley and they are more likely to be, or less likely to be, strong BC Liberal. Supporters, and in fact, Mary Polak, the longtime MLA in Langley, saw her margin of victory almost cut in half in 2017. But nevertheless, she still won by it by a significant amount. So, um, I think this is a representative of the fact that this the NDP government has a pretty big capital. Uh, Spending program, and it means spending things on uh, highways around the province. I actually did something last night. I went back and looked at all the health care facility announcements since they became, since they formed government. Adrian Dix has announced 26 different um, brand new care centers or hospitals, new hospitals, or expansion of current uh, hospitals. And of those 26, um, something like 50, 50. of them or 16 of them are located in BC Liberal ridings. So the NDP, uh, for better or worse, is showing well I think for better showing a lack of partisanship when it comes to spreading these these capital dollars around because they do in many cases seem to be going to BC Liberal ridings rather than NDP held ridings. And uh, I guess that's a reflection of where where the the the, the need is is most urgently required. But uh, I don't think you saw that sort of same. Uh, track record under the BC Liberals, who seem to favor, I think, Liberal writings over the NDP ones, and that's not happening this time.
1: On uh, daylight savings, Shannon, the premier just loves—he loves this issue. Uh, and to to his to the to the overall issues credit, I have this this feeling we're, we're going to see it happen. We got legislation that that is yet to be approved at the state level in California, but it's sitting there. Washington's done what it's done. Oregon's a bit of a question mark, and BC is on board. Uh, we're pretty close to having something happen here.
3: We certainly seem to be a little closer than we were the last time we were talking about this issue. Uh, I guess last month, and then in the fall, or in the fall. Um, yes, this is an issue that Horgan likes to talk about, even if nobody asks him about it. He is, you know, willing to bring it up. Um, honestly, I think it makes sense to a lot of people. We already have a section of BC that doesn't change their clocks, and so half the year they're on. Time with the rest of the province, and the rest of the time they're on Calgary time, um, and. It's just, you know, it's annoying for a lot of people, this, this daylight savings thing. So, yes, I would say we're, we're closer than we were, but I think it's anybody's guess at this point in time when BC might actually make a move uh, to either abandon or, or perpetually adopt
1: daylight saving yeah. time. I didn't really care about this issue until I had kids, and, and now I hate it. Uh, <laughs> It really sucks. Uh, Final word uh, to you guys, and uh, we'll just jump into a little bit of federal politics to finish things off here, but uh, first to you, Keith. Uh, Terry Lake, who you know well, uh, is seeking a political comeback here, as we expected he would. Uh, He's seeking the federal Liberal nomination here in Kamloops. Uh, What's your sort of uh, sense on that, and sort of what does that, in your mind, reflect getting a star candidate uh, for the Liberals, considering some of the rough waters Well, first of all,
2: I mean, I've known Terry Lake a long time, I have a high regard for him, I think he's a very credible uh, candidate, and I think he's got a personal cachet that It'll transcend uh, uh, party politics for many people. I think he's personally popular for good reason. Now, I think he's got some challenges. The liberal brand, I think, has been tarnished in uh, in B.C. I think um, he's got some problems to work around that. Justin Trudeau is not. We're not going to see Trudeau mania again. Uh, Kamloops, traditionally tough writing for the liberals uh... you've got the conservatives uh... Have owned that for well more than a decade it wasn't you now part of the writing um I guess there's been some redrawing of the boundaries over the years, but remember, Nelson Reese was a long-time yes. MP from that area, so it's not necessarily, you know, rock-solid conservative territory. It can switch hands. And if anybody can bring it home for the Liberals, I would say it would be Terry Lake, but again, he's got his hands full with a, a diminished liberal brand and a rising conservative one. We've seen conservative governments now sweeping across the country provincially, uh, and there's a huge blue wall now between B.C. and... And uh, and in the maritimes, parts of the maritimes, it's all gone conservative. Uh, not sure that's going to happen in the fall. I keep telling people, don't. Assume you can predict what the federal election is going to go right now. We're still months away from a vote. Uh, it really hasn't even started yet. Trudeau's yes. still trying to get the, extricate himself from this snc Lavelle and Jody Wilson-Raybould mess, and that will eventually subside, and people will focus on other issues, and that will help Terry Lake. But uh, you know, if anybody can bring it home for the Liberals, it's him.
1: And final word to you, Shannon, uh, Vancouver Granville, Jody Wilson-Raybould. Uh, does she go green? Does she go independent? And who picks up the Liberal banner in there? Do you think?
3: I think there's a lot of people speculating on that right now. I mean, the, the furor around the SNC allowance scandal and what happened with um, Jody Wilson-Raybould and, and Jane Philpott getting kicked out of the Liberal caucus. It's all kind of died down a bit, but then the two of them were at the First Nations Justice Forum um, in Vancouver, uh, this week, um, made a speech together, very impassioned one. Jody Wilson-Raybould is very critical of the federal government's sort of lack of progress on reconciliation. Um, Jody Wilson-Raybould was also in Victoria over the weekend to attend Elizabeth May's wedding at Christchurch Cathedral. Um, so, I'm a lot of people starting to talk about, well, maybe she sides with the Greens. I. Honestly, you do not have a good sense of where she's going to go or what she's going to do, but I'm I'm interested to see what it is because I think she still does have a lot of public goodwill. To, I mean, yes. obviously not everybody agrees with what she did, but a lot of people still would like to see her run and are waiting for her to make that decision.
1: Absolutely. Uh, guys, always a pleasure. Thanks so much. Look forward to talking again soon. Take care. There we go. Bye, That's, Shane. Bye. That's Keith Baldry and Shannon Waters. I uh, will take a quick break here on Inside Politics. Todd Stone coming in studio next.
0: Local news now. Radio NL, 610 a.m. and RadioNL.com. You're listening to Inside Politics with Shane Woodford for Kamloops Computer Center on Radio
1: NL. Good morning. Welcome back. Real pleasure to welcome in the studio this morning. And by studio, I use that term loosely, but uh, Cam South, MLA Todd Stone. Welcome to the Broom Club. Yeah, you know, you I, like like what, I
4: like what you've done with the place. Yeah, Shane. It's nice. Yeah, want yeah. Something I'm, a I'm, I'm
1: actually touching both walls here <laughs> on, either, on either side. We wanted something a little more intimate, you know, so. Well, you accomplished that. Yeah, you've hit the mark. Hey, uh, first off the top, you're a former transportation minister. Uh, brand new announcement down in the lower mainland yesterday. They're going to uh, add an HOV lane, uh, do some other work around uh, Highway 1, 260 to 264th. Is it brand new or no? No,
4: this uh, was a project that we announced back, I believe, on March 28th, 2017. <laughs> uh, and it's much needed. We actually, it was sure. part of a, a, a four-phase plan that we uh, we had announced uh, two years prior to that uh, to six lane all the way to Whatcom Road uh, in uh, Abbotsford. Yeah. And frankly, I mean, you've been down there yeah. uh, recently. You need to uh, six-lane pretty much out to Chilliwack nowadays. Absolutely. It's bumper to bumper pretty much seven days a week yep. uh, through most of the hours of every day. So uh, so good on the government for uh, moving forward with this project. We had to badger them quite a bit uh, in the legislature over the last two years because it was a project that we announced in March of 2017, and it was tender uh, ready uh, in the fall of 2017. So it's unfortunate it's taken two, two additional years to get on with it, but at least they're getting
1: on with it. Okay, so we got a couple. There was another one, in, I believe, in the Sook area announcement over the over the last week or so. Uh, but as you know, this government ran on fast track. They're going to do the Highway One expansion from here to Alberta border way faster than you guys. I mean, you guys were just so slow. They were <laughs> going to they're going to do it much faster. And to mine, I mean, I haven't kept super critical look at the phase by phase, but uh, my perception is things are either plodding along at, at the normal pace or they've actually slowed down. We're, where are we on Highway One work between us and the Alberta border? Well,
4: first uh, you mentioned. Sook and Langford, uh, the project that was announced uh, is, is in John, John Horgan's writing uh, yes. this week as well. Uh, we also had announced that previously, uh, again a couple years ago. So uh, they're 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 finally getting on with that one too. Um, in terms of uh, the Trans Canada east of Kamloops, we've talked about this many times. We announced uh, 199 million dollars for uh, the next uh, three uh, projects, which would take the uh, the four laning all the way from Hoffman's Bluff uh, right through at, at, at to the other side of Chile. Uh, That was to be done in three distinct projects. Uh, The funding was all secured with the federal government, funding secured with the the Treasury Board uh, uh, here uh, in British Columbia. Uh, And it was shovel-ready to get on with the first project uh, in the uh, fall of 2017. So we're a full two years behind uh, this this project actually moving forward. And uh, they haven't even awarded a tender yet. Uh, they're still in the RFP uh, uh, stage. We mm-hmm. we we hear uh, each year we ask uh, the minister uh, Trevena, we ask the premier, uh, what's the holdup? Uh, when are we going to have a definitive announcement? That uh, uh, when are people going to be able to expect to see trucks uh, and excavators yeah. moving up and down this section of the highway? And uh, we keep getting told it's imminent, it's imminent, it's imminent. It's two weeks behind now. Uh, uh, so like they did on Vancouver Island and like they did in Langley, yeah. uh, it's time for the government to get on with uh, the four-laning uh, east of uh, east of Camelops. Do you see
1: any move on the imminent side considering the new labor agreement because I think that's going to provide some wrinkles whether you agree with it or not uh, it's going to provide sort of uh, having to take a fresh look at how the whole thing is going to work it's going to add some cost, even the government's admitted that so is that going to impact the timeline of some of these new stretches overall or no? I, I think that is probably
4: central to the delay frankly, uh, the, the requirement for the union only construction uh, it, it's interesting that a 200 uh, a, a plus million dollar uh, for uh, a six laning project in the lower mainland in Langley yeah. on the Trans Canada doesn't appear to be subject to a, a com- quote unquote community benefit agreement. And yet the Premier uh, has been very clear and very consistent that a community benefit agreement will be required on the Trans Canada projects east of Kamloops. Remember, there's some big, uh, there's some pretty chunky projects. Yes. You know, I announced uh, a $440 million project, uh, um, at Kicking Horse Canyon, four kilometers of, uh, of four lane probably the toughest four laning. Uh, to do in North America now. Uh, so there's that project. There's a project at Illa which is uh, approaching $100 million. There's Salmon Arm West, uh, we had announced, which is uh, approaching uh, $200 million. There's the $199 million east of Kamloops. So uh, the sense, we, we tried to get definitive answers out of uh, uh, the Transport Minister and, and the Premier in recent estimates. Uh, we couldn't get them, uh, pin them down on it, but the sense that we have is that all of these projects east of Kamloops are being bundled together They'd have to be. uh, for the purposes of Single uh, yeah. uh, union only uh, requirement.
1: My understanding is it's the 500 million threshold. So anything under doesn't require the labor that, agreement. That, that's correct. Over does. So that, that, that's to correct. Yeah.
4: yeah. So so I, it, it would seem like they're going to bundle these projects. We 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 did pin down uh, Trevena in, in estimates insofar as she did acknowledge uh, that there would be about a seven to ten percent additional cost um, on these projects. So uh, even even if you just take the you know the 199 million uh, for the the three chunks uh, east of Camloops. Uh, add another uh, up up to ten percent on That's that. Sixty million. Uh, I pressed, or, or, or so. Are you cutting back scope? Are you going to reduce the amount of four laning you're doing, or cut back on the interchange work, or uh, or are you going to increase the budget to make sure that the original scope, as it was originally announced, uh, remains intact? Uh, she said, uh, uh, "Yes and yes, it's all going to be good." Um, she said she's counting on quote. Uh, really good bids. Uh, well, uh, best of luck to her uh, <laughs> on uh, on that front. But at, at the end of the day, it's time to get on with these projects. Uh, the uh, We know how important the four-laning is uh, between Kamloops and Chase. Uh, it's uh, our national highway. Uh, the volume of traffic is increasing steadily, particularly commercial trucks, Yeah, and safety is foremost in everyone's minds. We had yeah. the
1: money secured. Uh, let's get on with it. Uh, just out of curiosity, because you're a former transportation minister and you did have Translink in your file for a while. Uh, the gas thing is blowing up, big in Kamloops, and we had a huge jump here just the other day. Bigger down in the Lower Mainland, where they're just paying out, the you know what? Uh, the premier has kind of painted himself a bit in the corner. He's teased some kind of relief, and now everyone wants to know where the hell it is. And uh, he's directed Don Wright to figure something out. Do you? Uh, how do you, I mean, you're a former transportation minister. How would you deal with? was sort of look at something Metro Vancouver specific to you, cut rebates? Yeah, I mean, how do you handle that? Uh, well,
4: you know, best best of luck to him. He seems to have boxed himself into a pretty tight corner uh, on this. He has set the expectation as the uh, the uh, quote-unquote affordability premier uh, fighting for, uh, for, for the average uh, person out there. Uh, and uh, um, here is a situation where only weeks ago he said he was going to uh, try to do what he could to provide some relief. Well, uh, you're not going to provide relief in the short term uh, by uh, moving forward uh, or trying to accelerate the uh, discussion around a refinery uh, mm. in British Columbia, um, we have been very consistent in the opposition saying, you know, get out of the way uh, on this Trans Mountain project. That is probably the f- the, the surest way that we could afford ourselves uh, a, a reliable supply of the fuel we need in this province, and, and, and with that added capacity, probably put some downward pressure on prices. But in the here and now, it really comes down to uh, taxes. Uh, there, there are a number of taxes. Uh, forget about the Lower Mainland for a moment. I mean, Up here in the interior, we pay uh, six cents a litre more in motor fuel tax uh, than they do in the Lower Mainland. Uh, he could certainly uh, make a cut there, cut the, 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 the motor fuel tax uh, uh, to some degree. Uh, obviously, uh, they, they've accelerated their carbon tax uh, increases, and, and that's batting a burden across the province as well. So he's the one who made the commitment that he was going to try and find a, a way to provide relief here. Uh, Mr. Premier, we're waiting.
1: Just out of here, we have no time left. But just really quick, do you think? Do you? I mean, refineries a bit pie in the sky from where I'm sitting. But that said, uh, the premiers raised it. Does Camloops provide a location potentially for uh, some kind of future refinery? I mean, we're on the pipeline route, a little bit out of the lower mainland, where the issue is going to be far more contentious. Just throwing it out there.
4: Look, uh, a, 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 a refinery is an interesting concept, and there are uh, uh, folks like David Black uh, who have, have done a fair bit of work in, you know, re- recently on, uh, on the potential for a, a, a new refinery somewhere in British Columbia. There are people outside of Prince George that apparently are interested. There's a group uh, in the, the Terrace Kitimat area that are interested. I'm not aware of any local uh, push uh, for uh, a refinery here in Kamloops, but uh, it, it's a, it's an interesting discussion and it's worth having. But but let's get on with Trent mountain. That is the, the fastest way that we could assure ourselves of the reliable uh, and affordable supply of fuel that British
1: Columbians need. Mr. Stone, thank you for coming in. Thank you. I don't know how we're going to get out of this tight <coughs> space. But. One, uh, definitely one <laughs> at a time. <laughs> and that's it for Inside Politics. Thank you for tuning in. My thanks to my guests today. We'll see you again right here in NL next Friday.
0: In Kamloops, a stingray radio station. This is Radio NL 610 AM and RadioNL.com. Local news now.